but it's like the book of Micah says, rejoice not over me, my enemy, for though I fall, yet I will arise. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to get knocked down, but get back up in the name of Jesus. Get back up because God is in your corner. And so, again, we see how the devil lies and tries to tell people one person is better than another based on, you know, age, gender, color, etc. It's ridiculous. The Bible says he is made of one blood, all men. But the voice of the Irish people, I believe, is connected with the voice of God. And this is why I believe in Jesus' name, that as a people, we are once again going to connect with the call of God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And I just pray that you would just uh, open our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts to see and to hear what you want us to uh, receive today in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. And uh, so just to let you know, in the next few weeks, uh, next week I'm going to be talking about the call of God and the week after understanding Israel. And I think they're two really important, um, you know, aspects of our faith. And uh, certainly with regards to Israel, I think they really need prayer at the moment. And, um, you know, there's a lot going on spiritually. Uh, but it's amazing for me to see so many things that, that uh, you know, that we heard prophecy teachers teaching about 30 years ago. Um, you know, the, the, speaking about Iran, uh, uh, Russia, uh, Israel. Um, you know, the, the, the EU, um, so many things that were prophesied coming to pass uh, right before us. And um, truly, I, I believe the return of the Lord is, is nearer than some of us realize. And uh, that's why it's so important that we're about our Father's business. And, um, but I really believe uh, it, it's so essential for us as the church, you know, that we're blessing and not cursing Israel and the Jewish people. Amen? Thank you for that. That would be a good place to say amen. 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 Hallelujah. So the title of the message today is Patrick, Apostle to Ireland. Hallelujah. You know, Ireland is a nation with a long and a fascinating history, full of action, intrigue, and heartbreak. Um, you know, Ireland was invaded and conquered and occupied um, nine times. Uh, the Vikings, the Normans, the Scots, all is forgiven. Amen. <laughs> Isn't Jill wonderful? Amen. Hallelujah. She's a blessing. The English, the Spanish, the Dutch, and the French all landed here at one time or another. Uh, you know, some came as friends, uh, most of them came as enemies, and yet they all had their price and their prize. Uh, but you know what? Ireland never had a truer friend than Patrick. Amen, because he was a man who literally poured out his life um, as an offering before the Lord on behalf of the Irish people. And, um, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing that Patrick stood up, uh, you know, to those who sought to enslave and, uh, you know, to abuse our people. And, uh, you know, today we have two writings which remain from Patrick, um, his uh, autobiographical confession, uh, confessions, and also his letter to Caracadus, which was uh, probably one of the um, earliest, if not the earliest, uh, recorded uh, denunciation of slavery. And um, so, anyway, Patrick arrived here in 420 A.D., or sorry, 432, he died in 461. And yet, in that short period, he made a lasting impact on our land. Like I said, the most ancient manuscripts that we have in this nation are Patrick's writings. Um, like I said, his confessions were an autobiographical um, account of his life. And um, the oldest um, uh, copy of that was uh, written in 807 AD. It's in the book of Armagh in Trinity College. So again, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating uh, to, to look at, you know, our oldest history, our most ancient history is connected with this man. And, um, it, and, and again, his letter to Caracadus, like I said, he, he denounces um, uh, slavery, uh, particularly the, you know, the British coming and taking Irish uh, people as slaves, which was kind of ironic because it was originally the Irish who were taking the British as slaves. And so there we see um, you know, human nature uh, you know, at, its, at its worst. Um, 
you know, uh, in that what the, the, the Irish were originally doing, the Irish get saved, and then the British end up doing it to, to the Irish. And so, you know, when you read, like I said, this account, even to this day, um, 1,600 years later, you can feel um, uh, the outrage and the passion um, uh, that Patrick felt, uh, you know, at the injustice done to his converts, these men and women who had, uh, he, whom he had led to Christ and who are now being either, uh, who are enslaved or killed uh, by this man, uh, Caracatus. And so, uh, Ireland is, uh, or sorry, Patrick is Ireland's patron saint. Um, in spite of being British by birth. And you know, in some ways, I believe this is symbolic of the, you know, the ancient bond, the, the ancient spiritual connection that exists between Ireland and Great Britain. And so, um, you know, Patrick selflessly laid the foundations for the Celtic church that would one day take the gospel to Europe and from Europe to the nations of the world. And so, again, so much of what we take for granted and so much of what we love and so much of what we have um, understood about history in, in many respects hinges on the life of this one man, Patrick, okay? And uh, like I said, he was instrumental in, in taking the gospel to this nation. And when you consider the drunkenness, the revelry, and looking at the parade, at times downright depravity, that characterizes um, St. Patrick's Day. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people may not realize that Patrick was a God-fearing man who quoted extensively from the scriptures. Um, his one, um, like I said, his one uh, writing the, the confession, which you'd probably read through in half an hour quite easily. Um, he quotes over 70 Bible verses directly, but he also refers to approximately 500. Uh, he references them. So this was a man who really knew the word of God. He wasn't somebody walking around with a tall hat and a crozier. He was a man of God. He was a preacher of the gospel, and he's focus was on getting people saved, getting them born again. So let me give you a brief summary of Patrick's experience in order to give you a better perspective of what I'm going to speak on today. Um, I think it's important that you know a little bit about the life of Patrick, particularly those of you who are from other nations. Um, so uh, it's like in the, because uh, context and perspective are important. It's like in the early days of our church, um, uh, I, was, I, I gave a great message on righteousness. And, uh, you know, for the best part of an hour, um, you know, back then, every one of my messages had 15 points and were an hour long. Okay, so some of you think I'm long now. You should have seen me 15 years ago. But, you know, I was, I was belting it out on righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You reign in life because you are righteous, amen? You, you can approach the throne of God boldly because you're righteous. Heaven is your home because you're righteous. No one can condemn you when the blood has cleansed you. Like I said, you reign in life because you're righteous. Your past has no more power over you because you are righteous, amen? He hears your prayer because he cleansed your sin. People were, yes, amen, brother. You know, all, all, all 20 of them. Um, uh, but anyway, afterwards, a man came up to me after the, after he was a Mauritian man with many beautiful Mauritian people. We still have, anybody here from Mauritius here, give me a wave. We still have some, some uh, brothers and sisters. You don't want to lift your hand up. That's okay. I can see you all. But, um, you know, we have many people that are still with us. Best part of 15 years later. It's beautiful. But one Mauritian man came up to me. He said, um, he said, Pastor, I have one question. Great message. I have one question. What is righteousness? <laughs> he said, what does the word mean? And I was like, oh, God. <sighs> and <laughs> clearly, I'd made some assumptions about my audience. And so since then, I'm a quick learner, since then I always take a moment to clarify and to define what I'm going to be talking about, okay? So Patrick was born into a Roman Christian family in Wales on the west coast of Britain. Um, his grandfather was a priest and his father was a deacon. Um, in, in, in spite of this, Patrick, in, in spite of the fact that he's, both of his, um, his father and his grandfather were ministers, um, 
he had no such plans. He made fun of religion, and um, uh, you know he had no interest in the things of God. Things came to a head, however, when he was taken captive by Irish pirates at only 16 years of age, and he was brought to Ireland. And so he was sold to a Druid in, in the north of Ireland, um, a Druid named Miliuk, um, who put him to hard labor as a shepherd. Now, some of you don't know what Druids were. They were the heads of, of the pagan Irish religion, um, which, which really would have a lot of parallels with um, much of the whole environmental movement today. It was very earth-based. Um, you know, paganism in essence is defined as the worship of the earth. And um, so, I, 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 again, I, I think our society is taking a very dangerous um, uh, turn by, uh, in, in some ways, we're going back to where we came from by, you know, rejecting Christianity and, you know, our Judeo-Christian values and going back to this whole kind of eco-awareness where everything is defined by, by uh, uh, you know, by that. But anyway, um, it, this man was a Druid and uh, he was uh, apparently, you know, Druids were high-ranking religious leaders in pagan Celtic Ireland, and so um, you know, there's two there's two phases to Ireland. You had the, the the Celtic Christianity, which came afterwards, but predating that was the was the Celtic um, you know paganism. So Druids practiced human sacrifice. Julius Caesar, um, in in his writings, wrote how they sacrificed uh, people to the Celtic gods by um, encasing them in wicker. Um, uh, a, a wicker, it was a, a man in, made out of wicker, and so they would put people in it, and then they would set it on fire, and that's where we get the wicker man. Um, uh, incidentally, it was also Julius Caesar um, who was the first one to refer to Ireland as Hibernia, and that is Latin for winterland, or land of perpetual winter. How many of you from hot countries can say, I agree with Julius Caesar? Amen. Okay, that's good. Um, so anyway, very very quickly, uh, Diodorus, Diodorus Sicilius, or um, Diodorus of, Sicil of Sicily, he was a Greek historian in the first century BC, and he wrote that unless a sacrifice was attended by a Druid, it was not acceptable to the Celtic gods. And so you could say, therefore, that the Druids were um, the intermediaries uh, between the people and the gods. And he writes, these men predict the future by observing the flight and the call of birds and by the sacrifice of holy animals. And um, it says, and in very important matters, they prepare a human victim, they plunge a dagger into his chest, and by observing the way that his limbs convulse, and he falls, and the gushing of his blood, they're able to read the future. So, you know, um, I, I think it's important we get rid of these kind of uh, idealized uh, um, uh, views of, of paganism. Paganism was very brutal. It didn't matter whether it was in Ireland with the Celts or in, in South America with the Aztecs or, uh, uh, you know, any of these uh, are Incas. You know, paganism was a very brutal, uh, uh, you know, way of, of, of living, a very brutal society. And, you know, many of the things we take for granted and many of the things that people today in our modern society take for granted, such as, you know, the freedom of speech and the right to have an opinion and the, the right to do what you want, you know, uh, all of these things are, and the rights of women, all of these were absolutely alien under pagan societies. There's, and that's why, again, uh, for myself, I, I have always felt a great sense of, of, of uh, you know, appreciation, but also of, of the fact that we owe the Jewish people a great debt, because so much of what we call civilization and, and, you know, society originated, um, uh, you know, through, uh, through uh, our Judeo-Christian values, okay? And so, anyway, Patrick was taken out of the safe, ordered, cultured, uh, and privileged world of Roman Britain, and he was taken to Ireland to what was viewed as a fate worse than death itself to, to live among the pagan Irish. And um, he was abandoned, most likely beaten and half-starved, uh, with no company except for the animals that he was now um, uh, looking after. He was a shepherd. He had no comfort or hope of escape. And in the midst of this really tough situation, he began to seek God. 
And as he prayed, God miraculously protected him from the harsh Irish weather. I mean, I often think of Patrick, you know, during when it's really stormy outside or wet or when it's, you know, freezing cold and it's June. And I I, I often think of Patrick uh, because I'm in my nice house with heating and warmth and food and whatever. And I think about this young man at 16 years of age, just abandoned out to the Irish elements. This was, you know, this was a tough, um, this was a tough call, but you know, God miraculously protected him, and God began to reveal himself to Patrick, and you know, in, in, a, in, in, in a deeper way, um, because let me say this, sometimes we think that everything needs to be perfect in our lives for God to move, when all God really needs is your attention, because let me say this, God had Patrick's attention. He was in a tough place, and so the only one Patrick could cry out to was God, and, 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 and so God begins to move in Patrick's life. One night, God um, spoke to Patrick that his time had come for him to escape, finally, um, and, and told him his ship was waiting. Yes, uh, unfortunately, it was 200 miles away, and you know, that's just like God. He speaks, he whispers things into our heart, and then he shows us that it's impossible. It's impossible without him. And, and so this is why, again, many times God will speak things to you and then he'll show you it's impossible just so that you know you can't do this without him. Amen? And so anyway, Patrick goes, even though the penalty for an escaped slave is death, um, uh, uh, but God kept him. He, he gets on the boat just for the, sp- safe, uh, you know, for the sake of time and quickly, just, want, just brushing over the story, Patrick, he gets back home to Britain, safe and sound, once again, uh, with his family, with his loved ones, with his friends. His family beg him to never leave them again. But God grants him a vision one night that changes not only his destiny, but changes the destiny of an entire nation. An angel named Victorious um, appeared to him in his sleep, and this angel had letters in his hand. He hands one of these letters to Patrick. Patrick looks at it, and it says, uh, the voice of the Irish, or Latin, um, Vox Hibernia, the voice of the Irish. Suddenly, Patrick's ears are opened, and he hears the sound of an Irish multitude saying, come back and walk among us again, O holy youth. And so Patrick, um, you know, believes that God has spoken to him um, to go back to Ireland. And, you know, it seemed like a suicide mission. And in his confession, he writes about how his family and friends had no problem telling him that this was, you know, absolutely crazy. Um, because like I said, to go back to Ireland as an escaped slave, the first thing that would happen was he'd be put to death, if not, uh, you know, enslaved again but this is the thing Patrick was sent to Ireland twice once by men and then by God the first time as a slave but the second time as a son hallelujah and this is the beautiful thing the Bible says if God be for us who can be against us amen and so God was with Patrick and in spite of the danger and the protests of his friends and his family he goes back to Ireland anyway and on the eve of Easter he lights a bonfire near Tara now Tara was the seat of the high kings of Ireland and it was the center of pagan worship and you know to light a fire near Tara was prohibited under pain of death and yet on the eve of Easter Patrick lights this fire again which is I believe symbolic of Jesus Christ the light of of the world. You know, I'm, I'm surrounded by so many people from so many different nations, and yet you look into your history and you see the barbarity, the paganism, the sin, the evil that characterizes all of our past, irrespective of our, our age, irrespective of our nationality, our color. You know, you look back and you see the effects of sin, and yet it is Christ who brought his life to the Irish people and to so many of your peoples today. It was Christ. He is the light of the world. And so Patrick lights this bonfire. The king confronts him. The, the Druids wanted to, to kill him, but miraculously, God, you know, um, you know, you study the medieval stories and apparently the Druids tried to, to, to stop Patrick and, you know, Patrick prayed, God lifted them high up in the air and, and they were thrown down, crushed in the rocks. It was quite graphic. So I, I'm not going to get into that, but either way, Patrick 
prevailed by God's grace. And the light of the gospel began to dawn over this dark land. John 1, 4 and 5. It says, in him was light, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So I just wanted to give some of you from other nations perspective. Hands up, how many of you never heard that about Patrick before? Two of you, okay. You know, most people just think it's about green beer and people doing dumb stuff, okay? So I wanted to do that. Now, that was just the introduction. I'm gonna get into the message now, so I'm only gonna start my timer now, okay? Okay. (laughs) In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The New Living, it says the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought life to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Hallelujah, the good news, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. Glory to God, no matter how dark the night, The light always conquers the darkness, and so too, the gospel, when it is proclaimed, will cause darkness and devils to flee. Glory to God. Just mention the name of Jesus, and all of hell starts to shake. John 8 and verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How many of you can say today, I have the light of life through Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. He's brought his light into my heart. Amen. And so this is the battle that we face in these dark and trying days, okay, is to keep our focus on preaching Christ because he is our hope. He is our foundation. He is our strength and he is our shield. First Corinthians 1 for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because our society has so many problems and issues, but the answer is not found in politics or philosophy or philanthropy or social justice. The answer is found in Jesus. Jesus is the answer. So let's play our part in lifting him up in Jesus' name. You see, because Patrick came to Ireland to preach Jesus, and Ireland answered the call. I've told this story many times, but this is the story of how Ireland came to Christ. This is the story of how the light of the gospel dawned over our ancient land. And, and again, you know, when you study history, I, I was just reading there a few weeks ago about how these, um, I think it was a, a Greek historian, uh, 200 years BC referred to this as the sacred isle. You know, in spite of the darkness, there was something, uh, uh, something spiritual. And, 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 you know, I believe there's a destiny for this nation. And I know some of you have come here from, from other nations. And, and maybe at times you're, you're shocked at, at, at how godless or, or immoral, uh, you know, that the, the, the Irish can be. But you know what? There is a calling on this nation. There's a calling on this land. And, you know, God has brought you here not just for a job or a career. God has brought you here to pray for this nation that there is going to be that great awakening in Jesus' name. Because like the book of Esther, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. How many of you believe you've got a destiny in Jesus' name? And you know what? You're not here by accident. You're here by divine design and purpose. Glory to God. And so anyway, Patrick preached Jesus. And so like I said, this is our story and I'm going to keep telling it. Amen? Because it's the story of how the gospel came to this nation through a humble man who answered the call of God because Patrick was a man with a divine mission to proclaim a message of faith and freedom of life and liberty through Jesus Christ to those who were ironically once his captors. I mean, you, you know, like I said, you couldn't write this story. It's, it's, it's a fascinating story because it took a special kind of love to care for the eternal souls of those who had once enslaved you. And this is why it wasn't a natural love, it was a supernatural love. Amazingly, Patrick wasn't killed, even though 
On numerous occasions, he was enslaved again. One time he was enslaved for two months. So there was people trying to kill him, people trying to enslave him. If you read Patrick's breastplate, I don't have time to read that prayer today, it's beautiful. You know, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to my right hand, Christ to my left. And um, you know, maybe if the media could get that for the end, I'd really love to just, to just declare that at the end, uh, Patrick's breastplate, it's, it's a prayer. But it was a prayer of protection that he needed because he was really out on enemy territory. He was really, you know, uh, like a beachhead bringing the light into a dark place. And so Patrick wasn't killed by God's grace. God delivered him from harm. And Patrick lit a fire in this nation that would eventually blaze across all of Europe. You know, it's amazing and beautiful to consider that the fire that he lit still burns all these years later, yes, it may be burning uh, rather low right now, but I believe it's going to burst forth again in Jesus' name. I believe revival is going to hit this nation, and we're going to see so many people coming to Jesus. Mark's, uh, March <coughs> 17th is the day Patrick died, and that's why we still remember the man, even if we have forgotten the message. Because let me say this, the vast majority of Irish people have completely forgotten the message. They've completely forgotten everything that Patrick stood for, everything that Patrick believed. But they still remember the man, which I believe is something to, to consider 1,600 years later. And so, again, Patrick is still remembered and celebrated in the land of his captivity 1,600 years later because he won the hearts of the Irish people to Christ and he dared to claim this ancient land for him. So let me tell you something. This nation belongs to Jesus. This nation doesn't belong to left or right. It doesn't belong to all of those who want to push all of these various, you know, woke ideologies, amen, this nation belongs to Jesus Christ, and the purposes of God are going to come to pass for Ireland, could somebody say amen? amen, because you see, some came to this land for fame, others came for fortune, but Patrick came here for souls, for the glory of God and the souls of men, just as my friend Pastor Lee McClelland always says. Amen. Like Paul the Apostle before him, you know, Patrick came to spend and be spent in the cause of Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And you see, even the hardened hearts of the pagan Irish couldn't resist love like this. Because clearly, when you read Patrick's writings, he loved the Irish people dearly. He loved them with the love of Jesus. He loved them enough to endanger his own life to return here because you see, amazing things happen when we're motivated by the love of Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us because we, just, we judged us that if one died for all, then di all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Who or what are you living for? Patrick chose to sell himself out to the cause of Christ. And so there are three things that define the life of Patrick for me. I'm just going to go through them really quickly. And the first one is sanctuary. Exodus 25 and 8. And let them make me a sanctuary and I will dwell in their midst. That word in the Hebrew is mikdash. And it means a consecrated thing or place. Especially a palace, a sanctuary or an asylum. Uh, or asylum, sorry, not an asylum. Um, a, a chapel, a hallowed place, a holy place, a sanctuary. You see, it also means refuge or safety from pursuit, persecution, or other danger. That's the definition of the word sanctuary today. It means refuge or safety from pursuit, persecution, or other danger. Exodus 15, 17. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which th thou hast made for thee to dwell in. In the sanctuary, O Lord, which thou hands have established. It's interesting to note that the original meaning of the word sanctuary um, is a sacred place. Such as a place of worship or a shrine. 
You know, such places have been traditionally used for safety or refuge in times of danger or war. Because, and because of this, the term sanctuary, um, you know, became commonly used to describe any place of safety. And thus, you can talk about a, a, an animal uh, sanctuary, a bird sanctuary, a donkey sanctuary. Um, you know, even a bomb shelter can be described as a place of, of sanctuary. But to the, to the people of God, The Lord is our sanctuary in every storm. Amen. Proverbs 18 and verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And you know, truly, after the last few years of COVID and communism, and both of them went together, you know, along with woke governments, allowing media, mass inflation, and the possibility of World War III, we still need to have a place of safety. And God is our place of safety. He is our sanctuary. And that's why God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 21. And it says, and the Lord said, here's a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Do you know that God has put us in the cleft of the rock? Because the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many of you are glad that you've been put in Christ? That you belong to him? Your name is, is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're cleansed by his blood. You are born again in Jesus' name. You see, he said, oh, you will stand on the rock. I don't know what storm you're going through right now, but I know this, that you will stand if you stand on his word, if you stand on Christ, because you are in the cleft of the rock, and therefore there is no devil or demon or assignment of the enemy that can prevail against your life. That's how the Bible says, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Any tongue that rises against me will be condemned. You know why? Because you're in the cleft of the rock, and for the devil to get to you, he has to go through Jesus. And Jesus crushed his head. Jesus defeated him. Amen. And that is why the enemy will not prevail. Yes, you may go through some storms. You may go through some trials. You may get knocked down. But you know what? It's like the book of Micah says, rejoice not over me, my enemy. For though I fall, yet I will arise. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to get knocked down. But get back up in the name of Jesus. Get back up because God is in your corner. You can't be defeated. You can't fail. The enemy cannot overcome you. Greater is he that is in you. Could somebody say the greater one is in me in Jesus' name? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Do you mind if I finish this message? You learning something today? I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And this is the beautiful thing. Just like so many saints who had gone before him and so many of us who followed, amen, Patrick found strength and sanctuary in God. And you know, in the lonely and solitary existence of a slave in a pagan and a barbaric land, Patrick found sanctuary and shalom in the presence of God. He found sanctuary in the rock of ages, just like the the song, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Thank you, Jesus. You see, any minister who wants to be effective must learn this lesson well. You are no good to anyone unless you learn to hide yourself in God. 1 Kings 17, 6, the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, because you know, as a pastor, you can get so busy meeting people that you're spending no time with God. You see, we all need a place where we connect with God. For some of you, maybe going for a walk, you know, or going out to your, your garage, you're going to your study, or going somewhere where you can just get alone, where you can turn off the phone, uh, where you can get somewhere where there's no distractions. You know, for me, there was, ten, you know, there was eight children, there was 10 of us in the family, it was only when I went to college in Dublin and uh, you know, that God really got a hold of my life because I was in a, finally in a place where there was no TV, there was no phones, no fights, no parties, uh, no friends. Um, uh, how many of you know fights are completely a part of being in an Irish family, okay? Every couple of weeks, I genuinely, I would be getting into fist fights with my older brother. It was, I mean, it was, it was crazy. 
But you know, that's, that's all in the past now. I'm now sanctified, saved, and well, getting there. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's very natural to Irish people to just, you know, one minute we're singing a song, next thing we're just throwing punches. I don't know, what is it? Um, but <laughs> Genesis 32, 24, it says, so Jacob was left alone and there a man wrestled with him until daylight. Ironically, it was in the place where Jacob was alone that he encountered God. And you know, in the same way, it was when I was left alone with all the comforts and distractions and security of home uh, were removed that I really connected with God. That's why I love this city and I hope to God I'll be allowed to, to minister here until the day I die. I love Dublin. I love the Dublin people. Amen. Anybody from Dublin today? Some of the sweetest people in the world. Hallelujah. So anyway, God brought me here and he, he, he just can, and that's why I want to talk next week on the call of God, because there's a call of God in every one of your lives. Amen. It's beautiful when you, when you understand that. And, um, you know, uh, I want to read here from the confession. It says after, and, and bear in mind, this is 1600 years old. This is part of our legacy, our spiritual legacy as the Irish people. It says, after I arrived in Ireland, I tended sheep every day and I prayed frequently during the day. More and more, the love of God increased in my sense of awe before God. Faith grew and my spirit was moved so that in one day I would pray up to a hundred times and at night perhaps the same. I even remained in the woods and on the mountains and I would rise to pray before dawn in snow and ice and rain. I never felt the worst for it and I never felt lazy as I realize now the spirit was burning in me at that time. Praise you, Jesus. I, I, I just think that's so beautiful. You know, and, and it was the same with Patrick. Uh, he not only found sanctuary, he found salvation. Hallelujah. On the side of a mountain, he found salvation through Christ. Um, let me read this quote, St. Patrick again. May the light always find you on a dreary day. And I'm sure, those of you who don't know, dreary means, you know, depressing, you know, uh, dreary. Uh, he, he said, may the light always find you on a dreary day. And I'm sure Patrick had many a dreary day, sitting alone on a mountainside, exposed to rain and sleet and snow and sun, sometimes all on the same day. Uh, uh, but Patrick found comfort and solace and meaning in God's presence. And you know, if you're in a tough place today, know that God will meet with you. He will keep you because he loves you. Psalm 32 and 6, it says, Therefore let all the godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when great waters come, they will not come near. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 119 and verse 114, it says, You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Hallelujah. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear in God's presence? You see, Patrick sought the Lord in a painful place, and he found sanctuary and strength in God's presence because sometimes God doesn't change your circumstances, at least not immediately. Sometimes he changes you in the circumstances. Amen. And yeah, it's wonderful when he changes everything just like that. But sometimes, sometimes you have to stand in the storm. So firstly, Patrick, uh, <laughs> Patrick, three words, sanctuary. Give me five minutes and I'm finished. Secondly, visionary. I want to read this encounter Patrick had. Um, and it says, a few years later, I was again with my parents in Britain. They welcomed me as a son and they pleaded with me that after the many tribulations I'd undergone, I should never leave them again. It was while that I was there, I saw in a vision of the night, a man whose name was uh, Victoricus, coming as it were from Ireland with so many letters that they could not be counted. He gave me one of these and I read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish people. Let me say this, as a pastor, as a Christian, as an Irishman, it grieves me over the last number of years, the amount of, the amount of times politicians and people on the left and people with various ideologies have claimed to be speaking for the Irish people. And, you know, let me say this, you know, voting for abortion or a gay marriage was not the voice of the Irish people. It was the voice of a people who were deluded by the lies of the devil. Thank you. 
But the voice of the Irish people, I believe, is connected with the voice of God. And this is why I believe in Jesus' name, that as a people, we are once again going to connect with the call of God. With the call of God. Because there is such a thing as objective truth. And that truth is found in God's word. That truth isn't found in popularity or how many Instagram followers or Twitter followers you have or how many people applaud you or celebrate you. Truth is found in God's word. And if you're not speaking in line with God's word, then you are a liar. We have a lot of politicians who have been speaking so many lies. We have a media that has been lying outright to the people, not just in this nation, but around the nations over this last two years. That's why it's hard to believe a word they speak now. It's a bit like the boy crying wolf. There are some people that are never going to believe a journalist ever again. But you know what? Patrick came declaring the word of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Irrespective of how crazy or uncertain or deluded this world becomes. You know, just a few days ago in the United States of America, the NCAA championships, the women's championship swimming competition was won by a biological man. If you saw the picture of first, second, and third, you have third, you have second, she's a little taller, and then head and shoulders above them, you have this big hulking man. That is just deluded. The Bible says in the beginning, God made them male and female. The time I'm probably going to be thrown in jail for saying that, but you know what? Somebody has to say it. Somebody has to confront this insanity. You're born a man, you'll die a man. Doesn't matter what you do to your body. Patrick was a visionary. Patrick saw something. God gave Patrick a supernatural vision in the night of what he wanted to do through him. Like I said, he was a visionary. He could see something in the Irish people that nobody else at that time could see. He saw what we could be as opposed to what we were. He saw the Irish through the lens of God's grace. Because in the eyes of many cultured Romans, the Irish were these subhuman people who were only fit for slavery. Fact is, many Christians said to Patrick, you're wasting your time, why are you even going to them? And so, again, we see how the devil lies and tries to tell people one person is better than another based on, you know, age, gender, color, etc. It's ridiculous. The Bible says he is made of one blood, all men. We're all equal. God created us all equal. He has a purpose and a plan for every one of us. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil to give you hope in the future. Patrick was a visionary. He saw and he birthed a national revival in the most unlikely of places. And this is part of the apostolic anointing to both build and to to see and to build what nobody else can even imagine. Romans 5.17, therefore I grow in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what God has accomplished through me. In leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've seen and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around the Rilkam, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Because Patrick came to a dark and a barren land, and he won a great harvest for God. Because in the confession, he refers to how he baptized many thousands of believers. And, you know, this ability to see, you know, this ability um, to see what can be is a gift from our creator that enables us to affect change and to serve the purposes of God on the earth. Let me ask you this. Can you see it? Then you can be it. You know, the book of Habakkuk says, Habakkuk um, chapter 3, 2, uh, 1 to 3 says, I will stand on my watch and see what the Lord will say to me. And the Lord said to me, write the vision and make it plain that he may run that reads thereof. And so just as Habakkuk sought the Lord and God revealed the vision to Habakkuk, so Patrick was given a vision. But again, it was a vision that had been birthed by years of prayer. 
And let me say this, maybe the reason why some of us don't see more visions is simply because we're too distracted by our TVs or by our phones. And yeah, I've gone over time. Um, <laughs> Moses was given a vision to liberate an entire nation. But it started by him turning aside to the burning bush. It said in Exodus 3, 3, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. I wonder how many times we miss divine encounters with Christ or miss opportunities to share the gospel simply because we're distracted, because we're busy, or we're just too plain lazy to spend time in God's presence. You know, I believe in eternity, God may say to some of us, the answer you sought, the breakthrough you needed, the blessing you desired was right in front of you, but you didn't see it because you were in such a hurry. You know, Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there's no vision, the people perish. You see, if you can see it, then you can be it. If you can see it, you can step into it. And that's why the devil attacks you in your mind so much. He wants to take your vision. He wants you to see yourself as a loser, as a failure, as addicted, as broken, as inadequate, as not good enough, as unrighteous, so that you will never step into your destiny. You have to start to see yourself from God's perspective. He sees you as forgiven. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as loved. He sees you as a man or woman of significance. He sees you as called. He sees you as accepted. Could somebody say, amen, that's me in Jesus' name. You see, if you have a vision, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you have a vision of failure or weakness or addiction, then that is what you will walk in. No, you are a champion. You are a winner. You are a child of God. You cannot fail. That's why you must choose faith, not fear. Numbers chapter 13, and it said uh, that God, uh, Moses sent out the spies, and it said, um, just for the sake of time, he said, um, <clears throat> and Caleb still the people before Moses said, let us go up once and possess it. Give me three minutes, I'm finished. Um, <laughs> you might say it's long as five minutes ever. Okay, give me two minutes, I'm finished. It says, but we're well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with them said, we're not able to go against this people. They're stronger than we. And they brought an evil report of the land which uh, they'd searched out saying, the land through which we've gone to search is a land that eats up the inhabitants um, and the people in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, uh, which came of the giants. And we were on uh, in our own side as grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight. If you see yourself as a grasshopper, that is how people will see you. If you see yourself as a failure, that's how people will see you. You see, Caleb and Joshua had a vision of victory, while the others had a vision of failure. Both of them ultimately walked in what they saw. You see, Patrick saw a harvest when others saw hardship. You know, Revelation 4, and it says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. You see, God is calling all of us in these days as the worship group come forward. God is calling all of us to come up here. He's God wants the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. He wants us to literally hear and see from heaven. Amen? To see things from his perspective. You know, Helen Keller said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. May God restore our vision. May God restore our vision for our lives. Amen? Because you know what? In some ways, you could say the church has become like Samson after he was blinded. He became, the Bible says, a grinder at the wheel. He was doing the job of a beast of burden, pushing a grinding wheel to grind wheat or corn or whatever. And so, you know what? Samson was, was moving, but he couldn't see. He was moving, but he wasn't going anywhere. And that really describes a lot of believers. You know what? You're moving, but you're not making any progress. You're just dealing with the same issues over and over and over again. God wants to restore your vision in Jesus' name. Because like I said, the church is a bit like Samson. You know, much activity, but you know what? Little anointing. You know, much proclamation, but little demonstration or revelation. May God give us vision, vision of a lost and a dying world, vision to see the world as it can be as opposed to as it is. You know, Patrick, three words, sanctuary, visionary, and 60 seconds, missionary. David Livingston, God had an only son, and he made him a missionary. You see, most people sacrifice the eternal in order to satisfy the immediate. 
And that's why they never fulfilled their destiny. But Patrick was different. Patrick answered the call. That's why Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many hear the call, but few answer the call. That's why Isaiah cried out, here am I, send me. You see, Isaiah was a missionary. Patrick was a missionary. Let me read this quote. And so I live among barbarian tribes, a stranger and exile for the love of God. Truly, this is the heart of a missionary. The willingness to lay aside personal comfort and preference in order to reach others. St. Patrick again, if I have any worth, it is to live my life for God. Are you living your life for God or like so many others? Are you living your life for yourself? Because we're living in a selfish, narcissistic, superficial generation. We must make a decision to live for God, to live for his purposes, to answer the call, just like Patrick. Because the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, there's a cost to the call. It cost Jesus Christ his life. And it will cost you too. I don't know what we're gonna face in the future, but I do have this assurance. We will not face it alone, no matter what comes. The Lord will be by our side, just as he was by Patrick's side. You know, the call, there is a cost to the call. It cost John Bunyan 12 years of his life in jail. You know, John Bunyan was put in jail for preaching. They put him in prison and said, Mr. Bunyan, you can come out of prison whenever you will promise to cease preaching the gospel. He said, if you let me out of prison today, I will preach again tomorrow by the grace of God. Well, they said, you must go back to prison. And he answered, I will go back and stay there if need be till the moss covers my eyelids, but I will never deny my master. You see, there is a cost to the call. You see, ultimately, a missionary is a sent one, one who is willing to, to go. And you see, we are sent to our family, our neighbors, our colleagues, our friends, our place of business, our neighborhood as a witness. We are sent to bring the light of the gospel into dark places. Let me say, you know, at a time when we're seeing, you know, suicide and depression and unprecedented addiction, you know, marriages breaking up, you know, children suffering abuse, so many children growing up without a daddy. This is the time as the church we have to rise up and decide, you know what, I'm going to take the light on to, to dark places. People may not understand, people may not appreciate, but I'm going to serve the purpose of God, just like Patrick did before us. You see, love never fails. Ask yourself, do I really love people? Because it's very evident when you read the writings of Patrick that he loved the Irish people. And that love bear, bore much fruit, even among a pagan people like the Irish. Let me finish with this quote. It was not grace of my own, but God, who is strong in me and resists them all as he has done, that I came to the people of Ireland to preach the gospel and to suffer insult from the unbelievers. Hearing the reproach of my going abroad and many persecutions even unto bonds and to give my free birth to the benefit of others. And should I be worthy, I am prepared to give even my life without hesitation and most gladly for his name. And it is there that I wish to spend it until I die, if the Lord would grant it to me. You know, Patrick loved this nation and he loved this people. And reading that, it reminds me of the words of another missionary. No, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Let's live our life for Christ. Patrick held nothing back and he led a nation to Christ. Let's follow his example, even as he followed the example of Jesus Christ. Could you stand to your feet today?